It's the Face of Chicago Business Podcast, introducing you to the stories behind the faces, focused on fixing today's problems with thoughtful leadership and purposeful living. Sit down with us as we get to know the individuals who make our city second to none. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Face of Chicago Business Podcast. Today I'm joined by my friend, Angela Cox. Angela, thank you for being here. Hi, Tony. So good to be here with you. No, it is a, it is a pleasure. We've uh, chopped it up before on another podcast yeah. and you know developed a, a nice friendship out of it. And I'm just so honored to be able to share your personal story. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the, the warm welcome and, and the rapport we already have established. So absolutely, great absolutely. to be here. Thank you. No, thank you. So jumping right into it, you're originally, like we said, a South, South, South Side girl from yeah. Peoria, right? I'm way South. <laughs> way, way down there. Yeah. I'm originally from Peoria. Kind of working class roots uh, um, down in down in Peoria, um, part of the uh, the caterpillar industry down there. My dad was a UAW, mm. so come from um, blue collar roots, and uh, got a lot of my working uh, work ethic from my dad and, and watching him uh, move through his his life as as a um, factory worker. So taught me a lot, um, especially going through strikes and all the things that you see when you're when you're in that kind of environment. So um, had a big impact on me. It's a different way of life. Right. Absolutely, yeah, and it's uh, it was funny because at one point I went back uh, to Peoria and got a job um, in the management part of Caterpillar, and I had to kind of go ask oh, my no dad way. for. And I'm like, is it okay? Because you know, union and management, and you know, there's yeah. there's tension there, and understanding that, and I wanted to be really empathetic to him and his experience. So, um, yeah, it's it was. Um, you don't you don't think about you know the atmosphere you grow up in until you grow up and have a different framework for it, right? But, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it was amazing to watch um, to watch all that you know, especially throughout the '80s in Peoria. If you know anything about that time, it was a very tense time and a lot of. I'll be honest with you, I don't know a lot about there the was area. there was there were lengthy strikes between UAW and mm. Caterpillar management and. Um, at one point in time, I, um, I come from a family of six, so I have my parents' three older brothers. I'm the youngest of, of uh, four kids. Um, at one point, my parents were raising a family on $60 a week strike pay. Wow. Um, just to, you know, to, to keep us going on that. So it was a, a real indelible mark um, on my understanding of work and work ethic and loyalties and all kinds of things like that growing up in that environment. And, you know, we'll, obviously we'll get to, to three kindnesses. I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but, sure. you know, I guess with that upbringing and, and one of the things that, that is part of your personality is empathy, right? And that's something that, that um, I don't think you can teach someone necessarily. Mm. I mean, you can, I guess, to some level, to some extent, right? I don't want to take away from, sure. from what you're doing. Sure. Um, but it seems to me that you had um, that deep understanding or deep connection with people from a very early age. Um, I, I like to think so. Um, I didn't know it until I was well into my 30s that um, I actually have a sensory processing sensitivity. Um, there's something called being a highly sensitive person, um, and it's based on the work um, of a psychologist named um, Dr. Elaine Aaron. Interesting. Um, and there are um, she you can you can find this online as a little test you can take um, to find out sort of your levels of sensitivity. But I, I developed those levels. Um, or, or had, an, had a, an awareness of having very high levels of sensitivity from a very young age. Things would affect me very deeply. Um, sensory things would affect me deeply. Other people's emotions would affect me deeply. Um, and it was something that um, my, again, sort of, work, you know, my working class roots and things, those weren't things we necessarily talked about growing up. Sure. So um, I had a long journey to understand how I present to the world as an HSP and how the world affects me 
and, and, and the good, bad, and, and all that goes with that. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I feel like I, you know, on some level, I think I can relate to that, you know, in terms of that, that more acute to mm-hmm. what other people's emotions are. How did that affect you growing up where um, not having, I guess, those things be so labeled, right, or, mm-hmm. or be, be able to identify with that and kind of navigating through that? What was that like, especially in, in you know, an environment where it's, like you said, hardworking and, sure. and maybe not a lot of time for feelings, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as an adult, I can look back now and recognize some of that neurodivergence in my parents, um, the sensitivities in my father, like things I look back and I go, oh, oh, I understand where some of this comes from now. But um, yeah, if you are not in an environment where those things are talked about, <clears throat> certainly the idea of neurodivergence, neurodiversity, you know, we talked a little bit our last podcast about ADHD mm-hmm. and those kinds, you know, any kind of wiring in your brain is going to affect every aspect of your life. But um, being a being a child and not having um, sort of those um, those guardrails uh, and that understanding can be can be tough. And certainly, I think it affected uh, me as far as uh, the way that I um, went about trying to choose, you know, a vocation. Yeah, all of those, sure. you know, we sort of hand over so many big life decisions to like 18-year-old versions of us, right? And that's really scary sometimes because we don't know ourselves and our brains haven't finished developing and there's so much sort of risk in that. Um, and so I or know even that... to be told, right? Like well, sure. not have a choice or to feel like you don't have a choice. Right, absolutely. Yeah, to, to just to think about the fact that, you know, someone, someone's saying here's the path you need to take and you don't know better. Right, and you don't right, know. Right. And wouldn't it be great if we all knew we all had our own sort of operating uh, manual to go, actually, that's not going to work for me because of these reasons. And we, we, we don't have that. So sure. I think that um, part, of, part of the vision that has come to me, you know, that, that's driving three kindnesses now is... Can we just help people better understand their own wiring so that moving through the world isn't quite so fraught all the time? Yeah. And I'm kind of getting into that path, right? Because you got, you were very educated, you're very, <laughs> at your PhD at, by 30, right? Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like you were on this fast track um, as far as education was concerned. What was that motivation behind that to get to that level mm. of, of is it, was it, you know, trying to understand yourself or, or was it just simply trying to like fit in in a way? Sure. Yeah. It's a little bit of both, actually. Great question. I love that question. Um, I, I, I knew I knew from pretty early on that I didn't I didn't want to be sort of nine to five kind of job. I just just sort of intuitively knew that would be hard for me those, that level of structure. Sure. So I was very afraid of just sort of taking you know right out of college taking you know kind of a, a standard job and learning the ropes because that was a little bit daunting. And um, I I've always had um, a real affinity for teaching. And I have a memory of being in eighth grade, and our English teacher let us all have the opportunity to be teacher for the day. Mm. And no one else wanted to do it. And I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> this time. And I was a quiet kid. I was very introverted, very in my own head all the time. But that sounded fun to me, which which in and of itself was odd, you know, for someone who's normally introverted to go, please let me get in front of people, right? And, mm-hmm. But and then I remember after I taught the class for a day, and, and my teacher, who I just, I loved her, um, she came up and she's like, you're kind of a natural at this. 
this. I'm really, this is interesting. Uh, look me up in 15 years because I'm curious where you'll be. And really? sure enough, by the time That's... I got to my 20s, I was teaching. Um, I started, I, I, I got an English degree. My undergrad is in English, which, you know, insert all of the jokes that people make about English majors and it being a useless <laughs> degree. But I have three, I have three degrees in English. And, wow. and they've always, you know, my education has always helped me in every way that I've needed it because it's given me um, the the ability to articulate things that um, matter deeply to me. Right. Um, you know, be an English major if you want to be an English major. Don't let anybody deter you from that because it teaches you critical thinking skills. It teaches you how to write. It teaches you how to speak. It teaches you how to read people. Do you know that the greatest way to develop empathy is by reading fiction? I didn't realize that. Yeah, because that you're 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 putting yourself right into someone else, and, and it's low stakes, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. There's nothing. There's nothing at stake here. You're just reading and having a good time, but you're you're empathizing. Right. And that's that makes one a way lot of to, sense. That's one way you build your empathy muscles. So you know, I read and read. I was always reading as a kid, just constantly reading. I had my nose in a book all the time. So um, that could be a part of where the empathy began to emerge for me at a young age. Um, but yeah, I, I intended to be a college professor. That was I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be a professor, and those were my two goals. And and uh, life had some other ideas for me, but that's okay because, <laughs> as the great author Douglas Adams says, I may not have gotten where I wanted to go, but I ended up where I needed to be. I love that. I love <laughs> that. So, what was that journey for you coming? I mean, leaving Peoria first of all, right? Because I mean, all these things you're saying. It seems not only are you these you know empathetic person, highly sensitive, and a teacher, an introvert, but kind of all those things being said is very courageous, right? That oh. when you think about that, to to leave the comfort of what you know and and to go off to the big city, what a contrast, right? Where where was that? What how did that play into it? Hmm. I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't framed it that way. Thank you. I think it's. Um, Again, I credit my education for giving me courage because I think when you um, go out and learn other viewpoints and you learn to see how other people are navigating the world, I think that gives you courage because that gives you courage not only in yourself to go, it's okay if I'm a little different or it's okay if, oh, here's someone who's, who kind of thinks like I do. Um, so I definitely credit, you know, I went off to college and I ended up getting um, my master's and my PhD um, and then uh a year after I finished my PhD coursework, I gave birth to twin uh, kids, to a set of twins. So, yeah. you know that that'll give that'll give you courage yeah. right there because yeah. that sink or swim. <laughs> so, so true. Yeah. So just you know, I think life just kind of kept handing me. You know, would you like to try this? Hey, you know, I was I was people always were like, you know, asking about. Uh, my my journey with twins and i'm like i i think god just said here's a, here's a challenge would you like to try this you know it's just a bit of a cosmic joke to go oh let's just try this and see what happens so. and then it slow you down i mean you still continue down doing what you were doing well, getting educated and, and and i have to you know and I, and I credit my kids for that too because um when you um i even i even saw as as my kids started to grow up i'm like oh they have that same sort of quirky brain that i have they have my same sensitivities you so, notice it right away oh yeah absolutely yeah. i mean you know um and was it the same for both no they 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 started to diverge pretty quickly i mean they, they were identical at birth they are very very different now um but one of them definitely had very strong sensitivities um couldn't sleep uh, if there was any light, um, hated wearing things like jeans. You know, there were just sensitivities that I recognized, but no one had validated in me as a child. And then I was able to begin to validate their experiences as they were growing up and going, oh, yeah, this is 
this is what this is what I could have been had I had this level of validation and understanding. So there's something very redemptive in that. And I think again, if it, if it if courage comes into it, it's it's that constant um, need to let's just redeem things that weren't um, as good as they could have been, and let's do that for everybody to the extent that we can. For sure. And I mean, I mean, it seems like even being a parent gave you something of a. Uh, of, a, of a framework, right, mm-hmm. of, of seeing something in others that you could identify with. And mm-hmm. Would you say that was the beginning of kind of maybe some of these ideas that you had to start something different? Because you did really start something very different. I, I think there were some seeds in that. Um, and when I think back to um, even just the last two or three years as we've, as we've developed Three Kindnesses, um, one of my kids had an ADHD diagnosis and um, a level one ASD diagnosis. So I go, okay, this all makes sense sense to me now. And um, there's a really great book um, by a woman named um, Janara Nuremberg, and it's called Divergent Mind. And I highly recommend that anyone who thinks they have any form of neurodivergence grab that book and read it. Um, and a lot of what um, she talked about was the fact that many women, Gen X women like me, we get into our 40s, we have sort of just made do and figured things out and developed coping skills and then our kids start to have neurodivergent diagnoses and we go oh (laughs) that's what's been quote wrong with me all along and so that again you see you see the seeds in your kids and you go oh this this gives me some understanding of myself so um but i i definitely struggled um to know where i would fit in i i wasn't able to pursue the path to be a professor in the way that i had wanted for a variety of reasons Um, ended up in corporate learning ended up um, doing some nine to five very um, business of learning kind of gigs was that was that a way to kind of meet the expectations you had for your life at that point being a mom and you know, just I guess from a personal standpoint. Yeah, the, I mean, ultimately, um, being being a college professor would have been great, but um, I was a single mother from the time my do- uh, my kids were three um, until they were ten. <laughs> wow! So um, for me to be the you know the, the sole breadwinner, and uh, you know when it, when there's only you between your kids in the street, you get really serious, yeah, right? No, no. And so I thought, well, I'd, I'd love to pursue these dreams, but these dreams don't quite support life in gotcha, this way. So, gotcha. um, and again, you just you, you just you just keep moving, and, and you go, well, there's there's good to be found here. We can redeem these things too. And I think just keeping um, that idea of whatever whatever this path could have been. You know, pull the good from that and and put it into the new path that you're that you're sometimes forced down. Well, and it seems like you found your calling too, in, in a sense that <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the the world, the corporate world, let's just say, and 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 all its nuances is really a product of you know generations of of people that have come together without kind of knowing mm-hmm. who they are or mm-hmm. being able to recognize uh, patterns and behavior yeah. that you end up kind of in this hodgepodge of, of personalities and traits, right, that I'm sure when you're highly sensitive, you're kind of looking at everything, and it's, it probably seems a little bit overwhelming, I can imagine. Yeah, it does. Um, and that is that is a part of uh, any anyone who has any form of neurodivergence and that level of sensitivity that you are not only experiencing your emotions and whatever's happening, uh, but you're often absorbing the emotions of yeah. others as well. And if you are in... Um, an environment like a corporate environment, if you're in, you know, if you're in a cubicle and you've got people on either side of you and there's stress and there's trauma and there's all sorts of things happening, you're going to be absorbing all of that. Um, and that, that did cause me, um, a lot of pain and struggle in certain jobs because I, um, 
as I often point out um, to the leaders that I work with, the sensitive people in your organization, they're the ones telling, they're your barometers. They're the ones telling you what's going on in your culture. Um, a lot of people can can sort of get by, this isn't a great culture, but I'm doing okay. But your sensitive people are going to be just those, sort of your canaries in the coal mine, right? Kind of like the squeaky wheel, right? Well, yeah, yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> except, yeah, except that a lot of people don't want to hear the squeaks. No, and for sure, so for they, sure. they're like, we don't want to hear this, just, just you know. And as get you and I, yeah. yeah, and as you and I talked about um, in, in our other podcast about three kindnesses, where if you force all those people with those beautiful, quirky edges into some kind of, you know, strict mold, you're losing. You're just losing and losing and losing over and over. You know, creativity and you're losing kindness and you're losing compassion and you're losing empathy and all the things that really matter because that's what it is to be human, absolutely, right? Absolutely. So um, I think finding finding my way has involved um, a lot of self-awareness around, okay, this is a sensitivity. This is um, a part of my brain wiring that I can't get away from. It's how my brain is wired. So how do I take something that is kind of blessing and a curse and, and hopefully make it into more of a blessing and make it into something that can help others too? Now, is, is being a highly sensitive person a, a, a condition of, of social you know elements, if you will, that we've gotten to this point where people have developed this way? Or is this something you think that regardless of culture, regardless of time frame, generations, whatever, that it's something that, that it's just a human condition that when you look across the spectrum of people? Um, there, there are environmental factors, obviously, but um, it's, it's fairly, as far as I can tell, it's strictly neurological. So 20%, about 20% of the population has this level of heightened sensitivity. Oh, interesting. Um, and again, I highly recommend um, Dr. Aaron's work on this. Um, and you can take a little test, go to hsperson.com, and there's a little test you can take. And it's, it's similar to having, if you think about sort of having a lot of your nerve endings exposed, mm. you're, just, you're just more um, uh, aware of subtleties in your environment. Um, things like bright lights can affect you, things like fragrances and um, odors. Uh, you know, a car horn or a car alarm going off is kind of a nuisance to a, a neurotypical person to a uh, neurodivergent person or a person with um, a sensory processing sensitivity can actually cause a physiological reaction. Wow. So fight or flight mode can take over a lot. You know, loud noises can just cause you to go into fight or flight, can cause nausea. I know people who get migraines from certain fragrances. So there's this really heightened I'm definitely sensitivity. That way. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and, and that's yeah, that's a part of, of your neurodivergent brain. So again, they're thinking 20, maybe even a little bit more than 20% of the population. So every, you know, two out of every 10 people you meet have a high sensitivity to certain things in their environment. Caffeine can affect people who are HSPs. Um, certainly, um, there's also an element of liking to have order in your environment. So there are, you know, there are people who can like thrive in chaos. And I envy those people because <laughs> I don't thrive in chaos. I don't thrive in ambiguity. It's really difficult for me because I need my, my levels of sensitivity are such that if I need, uh, you know, to do, get something done, I have to control my environment very carefully. Um, and any deviation from that requires a lot of coping skills. And, and I think that we associate sensitivity with an emotional reaction, and we associate it with being irrational, right? Because how often do you, when people are upset, people go, don't be so sensitive. Sure. We hear that our whole lives. Absolutely. And that's 
completely the wrong reaction. Don't ever say that to anybody, right? right. We should never say that. And it's not it's about validating their feelings well, right? or their perspe- perspective at all. Completely, it is. Yeah. It, it's it's very it's very dismissive and validating. And it's not about that person necessarily being emotionally irrational. It's about that person going, "I'm seeing something in this moment that needs to be attended to." Absolutely. And that's why it's really important to pay attention to that because you know there was a time when many 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 years ago when we saw people who had high levels of sensitivity as prophets and seers and they were the people who knew things and you would go to them because right. they had that information and we don't view sensitivity in that kind way anymore seems like we don't value it no we yeah. definitely don't value it because that's what you hear like and you know and even growing up one of the things that my mom always said to me was develop tough skin you got to have tough yeah. hide you know and yep. and to to be a sensitive kid hearing that you're going okay that means there's something wrong with me absolutely um and and there's a beautiful side to being an hsp as well because if you're if, for every time you feel something that's really harsh there's also you, there's also heightened beauty there's also you can look you know i i have a i have a an hsp friend she can walk into a room and read the the, the sort of the human temperature of that room in a split second she can just connect to people so deeply and so beautifully because she can read that barometer in that room that emotional temperature so so beautifully now again if there's a lot of anger or upset or tension in the room and you're feeling that that's not fun but there's always you know again there's always a good side to this but again as you said if we're not valuing it we're losing we're losing a lot of, of beauty in the world when we don't value it no and not only that i mean it's also from uh, just a logical perspective i always find it really irrational and hard especially as, as, as a people you know we've come so far that women have had the right to vote only you know <laughs> they're people not alive. long yeah, enough not long enough ago right <laughs> yeah. and it's crazy that that's you just cut off half the population yeah. from and, and not valuing that. And the same thing in any environment, right? Mm-hmm. So would you say that part of your mission, and, and not to jump too far ahead to, to um, you know, three kindnesses, but that it's less about that 20% that you're working with and more about the 80%, um, you know, to, to basically teach, you know, that awareness to the other 20% and how to cultivate maybe some, you know, benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think it has... Um, Definitely, there, there's a teaching element to this. I mean, you know, sort of the long story short of my vocational journey is I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be a teacher, and I still get to do those two things in my life. So sure. that's that's a big part of this. But it is developing awareness um, for the people who aren't aware of that. But I think it's also giving people permission to move into that sensitivity, even if they're not H- an HSP, right? Um, to give people permission to to be who they are in their authentic selves, no matter where you are on the neurodiversity spectrum, because we all have quirks. We all have parts of ourselves that, you know, we got a scar here and, and we got we got some bumps and bruises there, right? That's just that's just part of being human. Um, and so definitely giving more voice to neurodivergence is a huge part of our mission at Three Kindnesses. But it's also for everyone because everyone needs more kindness and everybody could be kinder. Um, and that permission, I think, is at the heart of what we would like to spread through the world. And, you know, we talk about sensitivity as a, even as a female 
trait sometimes, right? But, you know, sensitive men, that should be normalized. Normalize men being able to to be exactly who they are in whatever way they need. So there's there's a really broad continuum of uses for this idea of sensitivity and neurodivergence and obviously three kindnesses, which is about keeping people safe so they can be their authentic selves and then cultivating that empathy so we understand each other and then honoring that diversity no matter where you fall in a neurodivergent or a neurodiverse spectrum. I love that. Now, getting into the three kindnesses, take yes. me back to that moment when <laughs> the light bulb went off and you said, you know, this, obviously you you had a non-corporate experience, you had a corporate experience. When was that light bulb moment for you? Uh, and just kind of walk me through some of those thoughts you had. I've always been really aware that, um, and this is something we all heard as kids, right? You, you can you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Absolutely, we heard that as kids, didn't we? And so, in a way, I would I would look at leaders that I had and go, you know, even if you just faked empathy, you'd be getting better results, right? Yeah. You don't have to feel it, but come on, pretend like you care, right? Right. 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 And so, my business partner and I. Um, used to have long conversations about um, what the environment that we had met and worked in, um, introversion and extroversion, which is another part of, of the, the neurodiversity spectrum, right? Um, and the the really funny moment for us, sort, sort of a, a, a genesis moment, was talking to a colleague about introversion and extroversion, and this lovely, lovely colleague of ours, um, sweetest woman and she had just come back from lunch and we're like you were gone for a while we thought you were just going to go grab lunch and come back and she's like oh well i saw so and so and they were sitting by themselves at lunch and so i went and sat and talked to them for 30 minutes and we and we're like that's that's so sweet but but (laughs) but what if they wanted to sit alone and she goes who wants to eat lunch alone? And it was just so it was so pure and beautiful, and her intentions were great. But we had this wonderful conversation with her about, well, introverts like to be alone to recharge, and extroverts like more social dopamine. And, and we had this great conversation. And that's how they recharge, right? Is, 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 yeah, is, sure. From yeah, a social that, side, yeah, absolutely. So, right. so extroversion is is you you want that you know that faster dopamine hit, and that charges you up and boosts you up. And introversion is more of a gearing down and. Um, but she was just, she was so, her intent was so beautiful. And we're like, and there are two things that hit us in that, in that moment that really created three kindnesses. And one was that um, impact um, over intention and the idea that impacts, you know, you have the best intentions in the world, but what is your impact? And so a part of three kindnesses is, is this idea of normalize asking people, are, are you up for socializing? Do you have the capacity? Do you have the bandwidth? You know, normalize that idea that not everyone moves to the world in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part of it was the idea that not all acts of kindness are created equal. Yeah. So what feels like kindness to me may not feel like kindness to you. I always think about this boss who would always stop his um, his direct reports like as they're walking out the door and like checking in, you know, and he felt like he was doing this amazing thing by like, I'm checking on my, you know, I'm giving him my time and attention at the end of the day. Look at me. I'm doing great. And his intentions were beautiful. And yet he had all these like tired people who were just like, I just want to leave. I just want to go home. And if you're an introvert, you, you have literally, I think about this all the time in your head. If you were an introvert, you have like a fuel gauge. And you're watching that thing just go down, down, and you're, yeah. hit, you're hitting E at yeah. you know five o'clock at the end of the day, and then your boss is like, "Hey, come on, let's talk," and you're just groaning inside, right? Yeah. And he would think he's being so kind and compassionate and connecting with his people, but his people weren't, you know, his impact was not good yeah. um, because he wasn't paying attention to the wiring. So we taught, you know, so that was that was a huge part of. Um, 
what initially we called deliberate kindness because we're like random acts of kindness are great but have you tried deliberate acts of kindness like deliberately finding out what this person needs and feels like and how they communicate and what their lived experience is and so deliberate kindness eventually turned into three kindnesses because the basis of Mm. everything that we do is you have to make sure people feel safe if people do not feel emotionally and psychologically safe you're not going to get the best work from them you're not going to get engagement from them uh you know you're going to get absenteeism, which is which you know um, due to mental health days, which is one of the biggest uh, losses of, of revenue for most countries in the United States is absenteeism due to just people don't want to be at work no just because it's just a bad culture. Wow. Yeah, and so you can begin to correct so many things in a work culture through kindness, through making people safe, through empathizing with them. We talk about situational empathy, which is that moment where, just like my friend who, she she was highly empathetic, wanted to take care of this person at lunch, but on the other hand, we're going, but but, but what did they need, <laughs> right, right? Right, right? And I always joke around because I'm like, I love the Starbucks, pay for the person in line behind you story. That's always a feel-good story, right? You know, you pay for their coffee and the, the line goes on and on. And I'm like but who's tipping the barista? Because they're the ones that actually need the money, right? right? right. You know, and that's what that's the difference between random acts of kindness and deliberate kindness. So I got to ask, though, in that situation, right? Because I'm sure people are <laughs> I wondering. Saw you, yeah. I saw you thinking that one through, Tony. <laughs> well, I'm just saying you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and I think oftentimes, and especially if you're introverted, correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but that one might be a more agreeable, right, or non-confrontational. Mm-hmm. So even though they may not want that person to sit there, they might just agree to it and say, sure, sure. right? But deep down inside, like you're saying, they don't want to have that conversation. Sure. So what, from both aspects of it, right? I think I know more so being that person of saying, you know, not right now, but mm-hmm. if you're that person that has good intentions, mm-hmm. What then, right? How do you approach that? How do sure. you make sure that you're providing a safe space for someone to say, hey, not right now? Mm-hmm. And that's what psychological safety is all about. Um, and that's why we encourage teams um, to build that psychological safety before you move into that understanding of wiring and things like that, because you can't have those conversations Makes unless sense. people feel psychologically safe. But we start with some with really simple things like we always talk about um, everyone has different needs, speeds, and creeds. And so that's a really great place to start with someone is just understanding they tend to communicate their communication needs and emotional needs and environmental needs tend to be, I've got, you can kind of watch people engage those things. Uh, speeds, that's just the pace that people move. I can often tell if someone is an introvert or an extrovert simply by listening to them talk. Mm. Um, because introversion, um, you can tell people are, um, they, they think uh, a little bit more carefully. They have a lot more fillers, uh, like the ums that you're hearing me do, even as I'm talking, because there's there's you're thinking before you speak. Sure. Extroverts um, tend to need to just verbally process to know what they think, and that's it's wonderful. So that's that's sort of the running joke as we go. An extrovert needs to talk to know what they think, and an introvert needs to think before they can talk. Interesting. And you can just begin to watch for those cues with people. Um, and when you know little things like that, all of this wonderful world of brain wiring is just open up, opens up to you because you go, okay, I see that this person from where they are sitting in the conference room, you can you can draw cues from that. I see this person is doodling as we're talking in this meeting. They could be stimming. That that could be they could be autistic. They could have ADHD, and that just that need to mm-hmm. to self comfort in that way. 
there are so many cues that just, you know, even just sitting here for five minutes, we could come up with all sorts of ways that you could learn to read people and understand. So if you're the person with good intentions, I would say just approach with curiosity too. It's always better to approach with curiosity than certainty. If you approach with certainty, you're probably not going to look good by the end of that interaction. Yeah. But if you approach with curiosity, I'm just wondering... Hey, um, if I did this, is this okay? If Do you have the bandwidth to talk about this? That's something that I have am implemented into every close relationship in my life. Before we talk about anything, do you have the bandwidth for X, for this conversation, for, you know, this is uh, something very simple. Um, it's just a, a, a mundane little uh, life, you know, do we need this on the grocery list kind of thing. But all the way up to, do you have the bandwidth to talk about something that is that is deep? And if not, Okay, then we go back and, t and just you just keep revisiting that. But just staying open and curious and also trying to read those cues can be life changing. No, I mean, it seems that way. We all just got to understand each other a little bit better. Yeah. You know, but yeah. so if, if someone's out there watching or listening, obviously this is great advice and great information um, that can be applied to everyday relationships. But specifically for three kindnesses, mm -hmm. you know, who should be reaching out uh, from an organization? Uh, we often start with organizations that have teams that have experiencing conflict or low engagement or high turnover. Um, and again, a lot of times people don't reach out until there's a crisis and <laughs> that's sure. common. Um, but if you're, if you're building a team and you want to understand neurodiversity better, um, if you have a team in crisis and you need to implement psychological safety into that, but we always say anybody, anybody who wants more kindness in their life, anybody that wants more kindness in their workplace, I think, um, understanding um, that neurodivergent piece is going to be um, a, a real game changer for many, many organizations because there are a lot of things that neurodivergent folks um, can bring, but so far have just been cut off. I, I, I have this, this running um, analogy about feral cats in an organization. And when people are not engaged and when people don't feel safe, we all become feral cats, mm -hmm. right? And feral cats, they're not interested in niceties and pleasantries and social interaction or hygiene. <laughs> they're just interested in surviving. Yeah. And and a lot, you know, I think the most recent um, uh, Forbes survey said about 70% of the American workforce is either disengaged or actively disengaged. And this was pre-pandemic when wow. that one came out. So when you have actively disengaged people, um, as, as my business partner always says, if you see a team in crisis, show me a team in crisis, I'll show you someone who doesn't feel safe because yeah. that's where conflict begins. So anytime you've got a group of people struggling to just function as a team, we can come in and help with that. But we also just we just want to spread more kindness. So even if you don't necessarily have a team in crisis, but you're just like, our culture could just use a little tune-up, that's what three kindnesses can, can help with. Every organization can benefit from kindness. So if you're out there listening uh, as an individual or as a leader of, of, of a company or organization that definitely, definitely reach out to Angela. She is a wealth of kindness, but also <laughs> of knowledge and expertise and wisdom. So um, again, reach out to her. There's a form that you can contact her directly below. But Angela, as always, nothing but a pleasure. Likewise, Tony. This is always fun. Let's do it again sometime. We will. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. you.